welcome to Clockworks, a podcast where we explain in detail how clocks work. First, there are gears. They're no. con- What? You always forget to introduce ourselves. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And now we'll explain how clocks work. Now, there are three hands, usually. There's a minute hand. Paul? What? You should never have come. I was just filled with a sense of such dread. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking today about Clockworks Chapter 26, the second last episode of Season 3, the second last episode of the show, and we're calling this episode Contact. This episode was directed by Dana Gonzalez and written by Noah Hawley and Olivia Dufault. Noah Hawley, of course, created the show, has written... has co-writer credit on most of the episodes of this season. Olivia Default has co-writer credit on the... Has, is the other co-writer <laughs> credit for most of the episodes of this season. Dana Gonzalez is a regular cinematographer for Legion and for Fargo, the other show run by Noah Hawley. He directed Chapter 18 of Legion, which was the penultimate episode of Season 2. This, for those keeping track, is the penultimate episode of Season 3, Apparently, Dana Gonzalez directs penultimate episodes. Jan, do you want to take us through the beat by beat? I would love to take us through the beat by beat of this, the penultimate episode of Legion. (gasps) So, instead of previously, this time we get evidently on Legion and a bunch of clips of previous episodes. Charles works on his helmet and we get voiceovers of the previous episodes. Charles has a dream or vision of a theater with a matador battling a person in a bull costume on the stage. The matador stabs the bull with two blue daggers and the bull dies. Under the bull's mask is Charles himself. The devil with yellow eyes sits behind him and says, You should never have come. Charles wakes and is on a plane to Morocco, arriving on a tarmac in the desert. A chauffeur with a painted picture of Charles stands next to a car and picks him up. We see the Legion logo. This time it is sewn from red thread on a board or a (laughs) cloth. In the in-between space, Switch and David stumble along. She is losing teeth and time is very wonky. She says time's unstable and David gets trapped in a tiny room. We see a vision of the field where he met Farouk for the first time. He screams again. In the time between time, Farouk is trapped. In the never-ending now, we see a blue egg crack, and then the time demons appear with Farouk, eventually cracking the screen. Charles is driven to a fancy house in Morocco and is brought down a long hall to a place where children are running around. A monkey sits in a cage and Farouk welcomes him, talking to him about Charles's life. In a portrait, Farouk from our present appears. So we have a lot of going back and forth in this episode. As I was recapping, I really noticed. In this episode? Very unusual for Legion going back. Well, no, I just mean it's like, there's a lot of like, there's Farouk's house and there's Gabrielle's house. Hmm, Back and forth. Back and forth, I see what you mean. Between two different things. Yep. We're not at Gabrielle's house yet, but that's going to be the whole episode is like back and forth between those two houses. Yeah. 
Uh, hmm. That way of putting it, I hadn't quite thought of it that way before, but this is really an episode about two houses. Mm-hmm. Both alike in dignity. No, not nope. both alike in dignity at all. Nope. But like two haunted houses, really. Yeah. Haunted in different ways by different ghosts. Yes, exactly. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. We start off uh, with, I don't know if we need to say again, but I'll just mention to say that it, we didn't, we didn't miss it. We noticed that there's another evidently on Legion. Mm-hmm. And this whole, like, let's talk about this whole beginning section, like the prelude when Charles is on the plane and he's having a dream of a matador or a toreador or something fighting a bull. What's the, what's the deal with that? Well, I mean, it's a something that's going to happen later. Like, this theater does actually exist in Farouk's house. Yep. As much as Maybe. anything exists <laughs> yeah. anywhere in this show. <laughs> he goes again to this place later. Let's just say that much. Yes. Um, I found it really significant that... The bull is stabbed with these two very blue daggers. Like, they're wrapped in kind of blue cloth. And it really yes. is that same blue of, like, the drugs that they've been having. The, the It's always blue. Mm-hmm. And then it's David underneath. I mean, it's not David. Sorry, it's Charles underneath the mask. But I think it's kind of David underneath the mask. What do you mean? Well, Charles doesn't know yet that, you know... David is going to be who he grows up to be, but for the audience to have someone who's who's affected by, who's stabbed by, uh, if the matador is Farouk, this blue thing, he ends up in him, he ends up taking him over. I don't know. I felt like that maybe was part of the meaning of that section. Mm-hmm. But also that Farouk and... Charles will battle, and Charles will ultimately lose. Yeah, this is a trap, right? Yeah. If Charles is underneath the bull, Charles isn't who he thinks he is in this situation. Like, Char- it's Charles's dream, so Charles doesn't recognize himself in the dream, or another way of putting that, Charles doesn't understand his position in mm-hmm. this story. And I guess that means that, we, that the matador is a stand-in for Farouk, right? I guess so. Is it a matador or a toreador? And what's the difference? I have literally no idea what the difference is <laughs> until you said toreador. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Bullfighters. The and there's, bullfight- there's picadors, Let's too. Let's just say it's a bullfighter. It's a <laughs> guy in a Spanish costumey thing fighting a fake bull. Yes. The bull kind of looks like the time demons, hey? Like he's a blue little bit. and his mask. Yep. I noticed that, too. Is time demon-y. Yeah, and he also, I mean, the other thing to that strikes me about a bull is, remember the Minotaur from season two? That too. That's the other thing I noticed is it reminded me of the Minotaur. Like This is like Charles's maze. Yeah. And now Charles is cast as the Minotaur in the maze, which is again like a subversion of our expectations. So we mm-hmm. start off with someone fighting the bull. We remember the... Bull is the Minotaur, and we remember we associate the blue with the time demons. We expect that then Farouk is the bull, mm-hmm. and Charles is the min- is the bullfighter, 
but it turns out no one is in the position that they think they are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then the devil with the yellow eyes is there. We haven't seen the fat devil with the yellow eyes in a while. And this time, he looks Farukish. Like, they've changed him. They've changed his makeup, He does yeah. not look the same. He does not have the same makeup, and I don't think that's an accident. No. He looks a little bit like Farouk. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, and he wakes up with, you should never have come. Mm-hmm. We, after we watched this episode, we talked about, like, is that a callback to something? It sounds so familiar. And I searched through... And it ha- you should never have come or a variation on it happens only once in the whole series. It's not a callback to something previous, except that it's what Charles says to the phone, says on the phone to Gabrielle in chapter 23. Mm-hmm. I should never have come. Farouk is a monster. He's nothing like me. So that's why it sounds familiar. Like, you should never have come. I should never have come is the first thing he says when he calls Gabrielle. Yeah. So why does David go back to that field with Farouk? The, because Farouk is still teaching David. Hmm. Although, again, nobody's position is what they think it is. David, in, in David's conception of what is about to happen and what is happening, he's going to battle Farouk to the death. Mm-hmm. But actually, Farouk is still mo- is still mentoring and teaching David, and David uses what he's learned from Farouk to even get there in the first place. Right. So it's like, it's just that their relationship is still more complicated than David wants to admit that it is. Mm. Yeah. I can agree with that. And I'm, because they're time traveling, like, does he go back or does he just remember it? I don't know. Maybe he actually goes back to it because it's time travel yeah i felt like maybe he was watching it from a distance or something yeah but in any case i think that's why he goes Mm. back and then they're like yeah what's the deal with this chauffeur (laughs) right uh he has a picture of charles he has a painting of charles painting of charles Jeez Louise, that's unsettling. Yeah, I think that's the whole point. Yeah. Is it's unsettling that someone has someone you've never met who doesn't really even know you're coming in your mind, you're just going there, has knows you well enough to have a likeness painted of you in oil. Yeah. Um and also this chauffeur is so warm and friendly and happy and he's like you're gonna go meet our king it's great i can't wait for you to meet this fantastic person and the parallels here between david and his commune and farouk and his Hmm. commune his kingdom yeah are very strong i like it yeah and you would have the women from his from david's commune saying similar things and acting in a way in a similar way you know inviting people to his commune being like we can't wait for you to meet our daddy and and so i feel like it's a clue i mean we already know farouk's compound is not on the up and up Mm -hmm. but it's a clue to like how similar 
the two of them are, Farouk and David. Yeah, I like that a lot. And the chauffeur says about Farouk, it is said he had no parents, that the country itself birthed him from the mud. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> like, this is Farouk myth-making about himself, It right? is, and it's, uh, he's really old. Yes. We know that he's, like, we know that he's, like, thousands of years old or whatever, or a thousand years old, and so, of course, they would think he has no parents. He wouldn't, in their mind. Yeah, and maybe even in his own mind. Like, he yeah. says, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when he talks to David in a little bit, he says, like, for a while I thought I was mad. I was ranting and raving. Mm-hmm. And, like, even to himself, it seems like his early days are kind of hazy. Yeah, that's true. Is the driver real? I always ask if people are real, and it's always like, I don't know, but... You know, seems like not, right? Like he drives Charles and then Charles looks and he's not in the car anymore. And then he's somewhere else and they really draw attention to like... Mm, that's because of the time jump. Is it because of the time jump? I felt like that was... There's all these like jumpiness in time throughout the episode. But usually, I mean, usually Charles doesn't notice. Hmm. No, he does later. He does he's later. Like, How did we get here? You're right. Okay, so maybe that I is thought that was a time jump. I think um, I have lots of thoughts about the people in the compound later, I think. Okay. So I think maybe we'll get to that. Uh, in the in-between space thing with... Mm-hmm. No, sorry, like the time between time. I can't remember all what it says on the screen, but it calls it the never-ending now. Yep. Which I love that as poetry. And then there's eggs that crack. Yeah. Which is a serious callback to season two. Yeah. And all of that discussion over eggs. And, but they're not, it's not a white egg this time. It's a blue egg. They're blue eggs. They're Robin's eggs. And it's, again, the time between time and space isn't, sizes aren't what they should be. Mm-hmm. They're gigantic Robin's eggs. Or maybe not Robin's eggs. There are other birds that have blue eggs. But, uh blue because blue is an important color for this show blue because blue indicates like drug use and psychosis and blue because the time demons and the time demons seem to crack out of those eggs right yeah i think so it feels like that's what they're there for yeah monsters cracking out of eggs just like season two exactly i also like the um the never ending now reminds me of in season two when patonomy says that it's not now. Like he doesn't. Patonomy doesn't believe in the present. He only believes in the past and the future. Mm-hmm. And then Farouk is in the present forever. Yeah, that's interesting. In the time between times. Mm-hmm. So the time demons. Speaking of the time demons, they crack the time between time. Are they? conscious are they like allied with farouk or did farouk do it it seems like farouk can't break free until they show up i think they're cracking all times hmm and so they're also cracking his time 
I mean, this is the paradox of time, right? Mm -hmm. If they're cracking any time, they have to be cracking all times. Yeah. Because otherwise, they're only cracking one time, then time is still being time. Yeah. (laughs) Time is confusing. So Charles walking down this hallway in Farouk's house, this, like, children are running around him and the monkey and the it's all just like i mean this show is very surreal but this moment (laughs) is just like very surreal of like he just it's a long hallway before he gets to farouk i paused a number of times when i was re-watching it to try to figure out if this is like it's more than one child Mm -hmm. but is it like two or three children looped or is it like 50 different children yeah i couldn't really tell they're running around too fast. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, it's definitely not just one child looped. Oh no, definitely not. But I wondered for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because they're definitely, all dressed the same, and they, yeah, yeah, and definitely when Farouk appears, it's just one child who like grabs onto him. Yeah. Uh. And Farouk welcomes him and talks like about Charles and yes. oh I know about you and this and this and this and that's another like very unsettling so you've got like the portrait and then him just knowing everything about Charles is just everything about Farouk when Charles meets him is immediately unsettling and Charles is immediately unset- unsettled yeah like his is a- gut is clearly like screaming no but he's just so caught up in like someone who's finally like me that he ignores his horrible gut feelings. Is it that why? I mean, I think uh, totally I like that Charles, he plays Charles clearly as recognizing that something's off about Farouk, which I really like. Mm-hmm. But later to jump ahead again a little bit, I'm not going to go into it, but just when David and Charles are talking, Charles seems to almost naively like it's not that he's so eager to meet him as he's like i believe the good in everyone Mm. right yeah that's true and the other thing is to have charles xavier go into a house where there are children running around who might need protection or have some kind of special abilities (laughs) you know like it's uh reference and or origin story for like maybe he got some ideas from coming to this house about how he could do it better he's optimistic he does what he potentially is going to do what Farouk does but better I mean but better is a a is one way to read it (laughs) (laughs) yes that's true there's always been something a little off about Charles Xavier too yes and I'm I may have said this on this show before. I definitely, it's a thing that has be, that I have said. Someone years ago told me that uh, X-Men is like the tropes of superhero and supervillain reversed. So the Magneto is the muscly, cape-wearing, flying guy, and he's the bad guy. And Xavier is the, like, bald, mental-powered wheelchair man with minions, and he's the good guy. Mm-hmm. Um... You've definitely said that before on this podcast. I've definitely said that before on this podcast. It's not my idea, but I think it's great. (laughs) Uh, But there's always been, and in the Legion comics, like David Holler is critical of Professor X as well as idolizing him. Mm -hmm. 
And so just as there's a parallel between David and Farouk, I think there's a parallel between Farouk and Charles, and maybe Charles got some ideas from the Shadow King and, like, does it for good, except, you know, there's some room for questions about Charles's methods. How dare you question Charles Xavier in my house? (laughs) Except when he's being played by Patrick Stewart. And then he is pure and good. Yes, exactly. Okay. So moving on. I think that's a really good point, though. Charles seeing a school for gifted youngsters. Exactly. (laughs) So Gabrielle is in her house. She comes down the stairs to see the door in the middle of the walkway again. This repeats a second time. And then Carrie, Carrie and Sid enter through the time door. Gabrielle approaches, and they discuss the doors. Baby David cries, and Sid follows to his nursery. Sid and Gabrielle discuss babies and men, meaning, and mass graves. Sid realizes that the baby is David. In Morocco, Farouk and Charles share a meal. He takes Charles to the astral plane for the first time. Charles creates a tree, and then Gabrielle and David. Farouk calls Charles his brother, and takes him then to a theater where a shadow play is performed. The magic words within the play are, You should never have come. A vision of David appears beside Charles, and calls Farouk the king of lies. Charles wakes and walks down the hall to to see a monkey in a cage. He goes into the monkey's mind and sees a man in a cage asking for help. So Gabrielle's door is gone again. Uh, This is like time loops. Yeah. Right? Or is there again. Or is there again or is gone again or has moved again. Yeah. Uh, It's just like we, the viewers, are experiencing what the characters are experiencing. Yes. We're seeing something we've seen before. We're looping back around how many times has this happened to gabrielle i don't know but how many times has it happened to us like four or five mm-hmm. right yeah exactly we're very used to those doors living in that walkway that like did they actually live in that walkway <laughs> and i kind of suspect that it has only happened to gabrielle the once mm-hmm. exactly now also like it's an interesting moment it's actually a fantastic moment that the doors are moved Gabrielle is, like, freaked out, and then she goes inside, and Sid just walks in after her. Sid can walk into the house because the doors have been removed. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't think of that. It's only because the doors aren't there that Sid can just follow her right in. Right. So who moved the doors? Infant ba- even Infant David, maybe? Oh, Infant David, maybe. Because we are, we know that he's telekinetic. We know that he's already telekinetic, right? Right. That's a good point. Maybe, so, maybe Infant David moved the doors. So I wonder if he's moving the doors, you know, unconsciously. Mm-hmm. I love that Gabrielle has no reaction to these random strangers. I love that Gabrielle's reaction to the doors in the middle of her walkway and these random strangers there is not so much like what go away random strangers as 
you see these doors too, right? <laughs> like, I'm yeah. not dreaming these doors. And then she really doesn't react to Sid just wandering into her kid's bedroom. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's all just very... Gabrielle is just not there. Yeah. Like, she's so uh, non-presence because yeah. she was in a coma. Like, she was in, like, a coma. She, she almost still is. Yeah. You know? She she struggles in responsiveness. She does. To say the least. In yeah. And then yeah, their whole conversation about like, have you ever seen a mass grave? And she's like desensitized to individualism because of mass graves. Yeah, and that life has no meaning. And so mm-hmm. it's like if life doesn't have any meaning, why are you living? Optimist, you know, yeah. silver lining. And Gabrielle's like, all animals fight to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah! Yeah. I've never heard a lack of object permanence described as insane before. Yeah. <laughs> Babies are insane. Yeah. They have no object permanence. But it's like... uh Gabrielle's life is a life without object permanence, too. Mm-hmm. Like, the doors specifically keep being somewhere where they're not, you know? Yeah. So, while they're having this conversation in David's bedroom, Sid is standing in the doorway, and the pattern on the wall behind her is, like, a bunch of lines and things, and she's sitting standing in the middle of it, and it looks exactly like a spider web. And she's there in her usual Sid wearing black in the middle of a spider web. And she's trapped. And didn't we have, we had spiders mentioned in the whole wolf prey yep. spider situation. Yep. Fruit says not the rabbit, the spider. Yeah. And so in this case, it's Sid who's the spider or Sid who's trapped in the spider web. Yeah, if Sid is framed by a spider web, is she the fly or the spider? Yeah. Well, is she? <laughs> if she's the spider, she's there to catch the time demons, Farouk, to finish things. If she's the fly, then she's been caught by, by Farouk, by the situation, by she's stuck in... A time that isn't her own. Mm-hmm. So it really could go either way. It could. And what she's doing, like once she, when she's framed in front of the spider web, she hasn't noticed this yet, but she's about to. When she realizes that the baby is David, it's like she's suddenly trapped. Yes, that's true too. By her own like willingly trapped but it's like i think that she's the flyer in the spider's web the Mm -hmm. situation the house the events have contrived to put her in this position where she's like well now i have to do what like now i can't do what i came here for right yeah you're right when she says it's not crazy babies that worry me it's the men they become Mm -hmm. i can't decide To be honest, I can't decide whether I like that or don't like it Mm. because the influence, the stress on men, it's the men they become, is like, on one hand, it feels like, uh, 
a compelling statement on like uh entitled and and um predatory men but on the other hand it's like the the great men theory of like men they grow up to be the great men who change history and like it it casts you know babies grow up to be i don't know it feels like it erases women actually Hmm. okay you know what i mean she's talking about one specific i know man but it reframes the whole show as like this is a show about farouk and david and charles and the great men and the poor little women they leave in their wake Mm. yeah i can really see that you know what i mean Women are not making out well in this show. No. And that, like, I think that they're, th- that line is a- attempting to, like, hold men to account for the impact that they have on women and other men and people around them. But it, what it ends up doing instead is framing the. Sh- world of the show as being about the men who matter and the women who they matter to Hmm. (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yep i can see that so moving on to morocco moving on to morocco farouk calls the kids to dinner and he says he calls them little demons yeah demons dinner time he says it i think in arabic Mm mm-hmm I can't even remember what, what subtitle or what's English because my mind just replaces it for <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the meaning. Exactly. But I'm pretty sure that's Arabic with subtitles. Um, and it seems like Demon's Dinner Time seems like a innocuously charming, teasing way to talk to your children, except that A, we still really don't trust this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then B, it's an unintentional double meaning with the time demons. Time yeah. demons, it's dinner time, they're eating time. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I find it really interesting that the two of them go into the astral plane and Charles experiences the astral plane for the first time and learns how to use his power within it. And the first thing he creates is a tree. Yeah, what is that? Well, he gains this knowledge and creates a tree. And then later on, he's given food to eat, that eat this cake, it's knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's a real strong, like, Adam and Eve, fruit of the tree. It's a tree of knowledge. And and he also creates something natural. He creates something uh, of the earth. He doesn't, he doesn't immediately go, and he creates something, I mean, as much as nature is good, he creates something good. Yeah. You know, good and simple, and it's inter- a tree is an interesting choice of your very, very first thing to create on the astral plane. And then his second creation is his family. It makes me think a little bit of Lord of the Rings and what Treebeard says about Saruman, who has a mind of gears and metals. Mm. And Charles does not have a mind of gears and metals. No, he has a, he mind, has a of mind of trees. Yeah, exactly. And Tolkien would say that that is virtuous. 
Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so would I, apparently. And so would you, apparently. I didn't see the tree of knowledge. That's a good spot. Like, good call on that. Mm-hmm. I did notice eating to gain knowledge. I love that image. We haven't really gotten to it yet. Yeah. What does it mean? Like, and then Farouk and... Farouk and Charles are talking and they talk about all the children and all his children are mute. Mm-hmm. This is symbolic. Yep. I don't know if I have much more than just to say, like... I mean, on the very surface level, in if it's like literal Morocco where there are children who are mute or being cast out in the street, the person who can understand them is a mind reader and that's who takes them in. Yep. However, as we soon eventually discover... They're not really children. And they're not really mute. And they're not really mute. Yeah. And they're, they're little not... cages. Yeah. Farouk's M.O. I mean, as we're going to see at the end here with the king trapped in the monkey, his M.O. is putting people in other people. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes it's himself in David. Sometimes it's other people in himself. Sometimes it's people in each other. Like, he uses... Minds as cages. Mm-hmm. And he likes to collect people. And he likes to collect and people, And so he's yeah. clearly co- collected this king and put him in a monkey and put him in a cage. And then when Charles and Farouk are talking, and Farouk, like I said, Farouk is still teaching David. And Farouk teaches Charles, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he can't... It feels like he's taunting him, but he also, like, genuinely enjoys showing him how things work yeah this is a character trait of farouk throughout right he wants more people to know how to use their power he wants other powerful mutants to come and play with him yeah he wants them once they're powerful he wants them to be like him he wants charles to be like him maybe under him but like he he genuinely i think even at this stage uh is despite all the trappiness of it, he's genuinely happy to meet Charles and genuinely happy to teach Charles how to use his powers better. Even though he's planning to trap him and squish him and, you know, collect him probably. Mm-hmm. And he in the future will be genuinely happy to teach David how to use his powers. He wants him to use them in the way that he wants them to use them. He wants them to use them to become a little Farouk and subjugate people. Yeah. But he's still like... But if Charles wa- if he wants Charles to be like him or be his friend, why does he say within the play, you should never have come? Or is that just legitimately part of the play? That's a good question. Why does he say you should never have come? Because no matter whether, like... Whether he wants Charles as a friend and ally, he just wants him to be an evil friend and ally, or whether he wants Charles to be his prey. Either way, why is he telling Charles he shouldn't have come? I think he's toying with him. Well, maybe, I mean, if if what, if what Farouk says is true, that he puts on these shadow plays, he's called the Shadow King, uh, wink, wink, um... He puts on these shadow plays for these kids all the time. This is the story that he tells. The magic words really are, you should never have come. He gave Charles a vision before he came to 
Farouk's compound or palace or whatever that he was going to say you should have never you should never have come he's like the devil with the yellow eyes in that vision but it's still Farouk Mm-hmm. And it was. It isn't. He doesn't actually think he shouldn't have come. He thinks I sent you this vision, so you knew when I said that it was me. And this is my little wink, wink at you. It does feel throughout that Farouk, like he says, he's a strategist in this season, but he enjoys playing with people for the pleasure of it exactly exactly even when it goes counter to his ends Mm -hmm. he can't help but taunt charles even if it means springing the trap a little early or or hinting the trap before it's fully sprung he like he can't help taunt charles yeah exactly exactly and he also like the the conversation where he talks about charles he says you've never been to the astral plane powers like yours you don't even realize it Powers like yours is our hint that Charles is more powerful than Farouk is. Yeah. Or as powerful. But mm-hmm. like powers like yours, not powers like ours. But like yeah. he recognizes Charles as more powerful than he is. But just like he recognizes David as more powerful than he is. But he's older, more experienced and less scrupulous. He right. knows how to use his powers, and Charles still hasn't figured it out at this point. Mm-hmm. David still hasn't quite figured it out at this point. And even when they know how, Farouk is willing to use his powers in ways that Charles certainly isn't. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's move on. I want... I have two more things about this okay. little section before we move on that... One is just that the shadow creature that Farouk makes is another minotaur. Mm, yep. And the other one is just this phrase that Farouk says when he, like, sees that Charles is like him. And again, it's this moment that I feel like plays this line between taunting and genuine... He's he's being honest about how he feels, maybe even doesn't realize it, but that, like, what a privilege it is to see and be seen. Hmm. He says to Charles. Yes. And it really is. Mm-hmm. And what also a, what a danger. And also what a danger. Exactly. To see and be seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm ready for you to move on. I will move on. The time door opens and David enters the room talking to his father. He takes them into his mind And David gives Charles a piece of cake, and he eats it, taking in all of David's life in a series of flashes. David tells him what's going to happen, that he's in a trap. But now he has him. In Gabrielle's house, Sid explains to Carrie about baby David, and Carrie is confused why they don't just kill him as a baby. Sid says they can save the baby, but not the adult David, and Carrie agrees to help. In Farouk's house, Charles comes to breakfast with David, who is Mm -hmm. dressed as a soldier. When Farouk tries to go into his head, he finds only music and images from the commune, and then David says, thinks at him, (laughs) you should never have come. Farouk is thrown off and leaves the table. Switch enters and collapses, losing her teeth. Time jumps again, and Switch can't wake up. 
David takes Charles into his mind again and tries to explain. But the doors all rattle, and when Charles goes to one, it opens to another David, and then another. They say they're here for justice. More Davids appear, all saying, Daddy. Charles uses his power to escape. Clockworks table! David and Charles are sitting at a clockworks table. They sure are. I think that is a shout out to us, specifically. Absolutely. They are definitely listening to our podcast, (laughs) which comes out way later than they air the show. (laughs) Yeah, I think for sure. For sure. So, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, We, Noah, we're mutual fans. We appreciate each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no way. Anyway, I, yeah, the Clockworks table, I mean, obviously, shout out to the Clockworks uh, Hospital, which our podcast is named after. Well, and like, I mean, I was facetious, but yeah, time and clocks and clockworks and the sense of gears, it was the name of our podcast and it's been a motif through the whole show, right? Exactly. It's not a coincidence that we named our show that. No, not at all. And I think this, you know, it's sometimes this show makes very much literal the metaphor. And this is an example of that. So this is what I was talking about earlier, where David gives Charles a piece of cake and he eats it and it's the cake of knowledge. And Charles just suddenly gains the knowledge of David's entire life. I love this image Mm -hmm. of like, eat this and you know stuff and this isn't i mean you pointed out the biblical illusion but even if we ignore the, even if we pretend not to know the biblical illusion like this isn't an original concept eat something and gain knowledge yeah but i really love first of all i love that image always i think it's really there's something very something that seems very right about it because learning something is easy, is easy to metaphorize as ingesting something. Mm-hmm. When you eat something, you're taking material, physical objects and incorporating them into your being. Yeah. That's what eating things is. Mm-hmm. That's what knowledge is, is you're taking ideas and incorporating them into your being. And now they're part of who you are. So I love that metaphor. And I love the visual effect, too, of like the scenes projected onto Charles's face. Yeah. Um, I like that that it's a layer cake. Oh. I don't know something about that, like it having layers. Having David has multiple Whoa. personalities and layers within it. You are blowing my mind. <laughs> Cakes have layers. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's taking it too far, but I feel no, like it's taking it not far enough. David's got layers, and so the knowledge of him comes with lots of buttercreamy goodness. I've been watching a lot of baking shows lately. <laughs> like an onion or a parfait. Exactly. Uh, do we think that... Does Charles just gain the knowledge of, like, David's entire life? Or the Cliff Notes version that we're seeing? Or something else? I think that David created the cake. And yeah. so I think David curated the knowledge he wants mm. Charles to have. Yeah. He decides what it is that he thinks Charles needs to know. And he, I think, I don't think that he's being deceptive. Yeah. I think he's being, he is being honest as far as that goes. Uh, But I just, I don't think, like, Charles now knows every, 
all of David's entire experience. That mm. would be more than a slice of cake. This is David yes. has condensed the things that Charles specifically needs to know, according to David. So it's curated. Mm -hmm. It's specifically what uh, Farouk has done to him. Yes. In his mind. Yeah. What he thinks Farouk has done to him. I love the conversation between Sid and Carrie, female Carrie. Me too. About, like, what he's a baby. Why can't we just kill him? <laughs> kill him as a baby. It's just like, it's a classic, like, if you met Hitler as a baby, would you kill him? It would be super easy. <laughs> it would be super easy. <laughs> Babies are, like, super easy to kill. <laughs> I think that's, that was one of the funniest moments, that list line of like, it'd be super easy <laughs> yeah. to kill a baby. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I like Sid specifically calling out, Melanie and Oliver taught me. Yeah. There are people you can save and people you can't. Mm-hmm. We can't save David. We can save baby David. Yeah, Exactly. And that's like the, um, you know, the it is the paradox, would you kill baby Hitler? And it seems like a, a played out that mental experiment, that thought experiment. Yeah. But the thing that people, they, they take it in a direction that people don't usually take it. Like when Sid at first says, we've changed time just by being here. I was a little bit like, yeah, we've all seen Back to the Future. <laughs> um. I don't begrudge them explaining that, but that wasn't a new insight at all. Mm -hmm. But the like, we can save this, this David has moved from someone you can't save to someone you can save because we've traveled in time mm -hmm. and now we can save this person. Yep. I like exactly. that a lot. Yeah. Same. This is such a different Sid. Like it, it really is. does feel like that's. You know, 20 minutes, entire new life lived has really changed Sid. I can't decide if I like it or don't like it. Hmm. Because I feel like maybe it's, you know, deus es machina. You just change the personality of the person. But I like the direction they've taken her in. Yeah. I like the... Um, new insight she's having because she lived this whole different life and that it makes sense that she's having them. She didn't change for no reason. Yeah. I mean, it is, maybe it's, uh, Deus Ex Machina, except that they gave us an entire episode of her experiencing these things that she has grown from. Like yeah, that's, that's not true. Ex Machina. That's plot. Yeah. That's right? a good point. Yeah. It would have been worse if they had like, she wakes up and says, I lived a whole different life and we never saw that. We had to see that happen. And like it justifies like that episode could be a digression, a enjoyable digression, but a digression. We talked about that when we talked about the episode, but we see here some payoff for it that not just payoff in terms of like now Sid has learned something, but audience payoff that it doesn't feel like an abrupt or unmotivated shift because we see we spent an hour or you know whatever 40 minutes uh slowly watching her learn all this stuff in mm -hmm. tv time that almost is a lifetime yeah it's right? true it's true lots of characters on tv shows learn something over the course of an episode and can be changed at the end of it like mm -hmm. 
that's enough time for the audience to re to understand that things have changed you know yeah absolutely and i'm thinking about the episode in season two that was like the alternate futures with all the different davids and how something in each of those davids past changed who he was in the future and so what are the what david is going to come from changing him as a baby is it going to be one of those futures is it going to be a totally different one we've already seen that it can happen right we've had this development in the past we've seen the possibilities for david so we know that he can he can have a different future based on what happens in his past mhm and it's kind of like i said when we talked about the Sid's childhood episode, I said that that alternate realities episode didn't entirely ever pay off, but it still was worth it. But maybe yeah. this is the payoff. Yeah, exactly. You know, like maybe, or maybe not the payoff, but this is it continuing to pay off. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. David, when David comes as a soldier, why? I'm mean, like, is it just because of his? historical reasons that he's dressed as a soldier why is he dressed as a soldier he's there to fight he's there to war to wage war right he is i mean yeah he's there because an american in morocco would be a soldier i guess but really yeah he's there to wage war on Farouk, and it's a sign to him that he's that he's not there for yeah, for just hanging out. He's not who he says he is. And he, much like Farouk can't help but spring the trap early on Charles, David can't help but give Farouk clues of who he is, right? Yeah. He's not waiting to surprise him, fight. Oh, like, not at he all. He tips him off. Yeah. Is that a mistake? Is mm. that strategy? I think that's strategy. Or is it just like recognition that you can't really hide something from a mind reader anyway? That too. And he, yeah, he tries to go into his head and just finds like David thinking about the I said, commune. Captain, I said, I said what? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and then David thinks you should never have come. Oh. And that freaks Farouk right out. It sure it's does. It's amazing. I think that's really well done. And that's the three beat in our three beats of that. So we've got the devil's yellow eye saying it. We have Farouk himself saying it. And we have David saying it. And so I feel like, is the devil with yellow eyes real? Is he both David and Farouk together? What exactly is, in the end, what is he? Because here we are at the penultimate episode and he's still there. I still, I like, I have wavered through the course of the show, but I think in this episode, he is the most plausible read is that he's Farouk. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the the structural mechanism of a three beat is you introduce, reinforce, and subvert. Yeah. That's why three. Once is a thing, twice shows that it is a pattern, and the third time changes the pattern. Uh... So, 
The first so time Farouk the devil with yellow eyes. It. The second time it's Farouk that's reinforcing. This is a thing Farouk says. Farouk is saying this. It's a warning that Farouk says. He says it once as the devil with the yellow eyes and once as Farouk. It's reinforcing the pattern. Mm-hmm. And then it's subverted when it said to Farouk by someone else. Right. Yeah, okay. I can kind of see that. But David still talks in the devil's yellow eyes voice sometimes. He does. And he does in front of Charles, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, I I kind of think that the devil's yellow eyes is some kind of amalgam of David and Farouk. But I don't think we see enough in this episode to make me think that. Mm-hmm. I think that from other things. Yeah. Or I wonder that. And then Switch shows up. Switch looks terrible. Oh, yeah. Meeting David has not done Switch well. No. No. Not at all. She's losing, like, all of her teeth. And then, I mean, she just collapses into a coma. Yep. Like, or I guess not, I'm extrapolating to coma, but, like, asleep. (laughs) Yeah. She passes out. And we hear David say, time is the enemy. Mm-hmm. I like that, too, is like a statement not only on this moment. It's one of these double meanings or triple meaning phrases, right? Because time is the enemy can mean there are blue monsters who are time eaters. I'm calling them time to be succinct and vague, but they're a literal enemy that we have to fight. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, like, this is a theme of this entire show, that time is the enemy. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a sub... Uh, subversion isn't right. It's like a uh, variation on the biblical, the last enemy to be overcome is death. Hmm. Time is the enemy. Yeah. In this show, death isn't the enemy. Time is the enemy. Hmm. That's true. David, Charles asks who Switch is, and David says she's no one a means of getting here. Yeah. Harsh. Cold. Cold. And this is, this is the David that can't be saved. Exactly. This is like, we're still, he's our main character. We're still sympathetic to him in some ways. But then he says stuff like this and you're like, you can't be saved. You're just using people, completely using them. And we for saw, means. like at the beginning of this episode, we saw him talking to Switch and like, we could wonder, is he just manipulating her? Or does he, like, he wants something from her, but he could still actually care about her. And he gives her, you know, his David-y charm. Mm-hmm. His Dan Stevens charm. And you're like, okay, maybe. And then here, the mask drops, right? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly, you're exactly right. This is the David that can't be saved. It's not just how he treated, I mean, it's not just... Some, uh, a read on the show has been like that he sexually assaults Sid and that's a single act he can't come back from. But I think it's so much more a everything about who, how he interacts with the world. Yeah. Gets revealed, has been revealed in moments 
all along the show. Mm-hmm. And here's another one of these moments. Yeah, exactly. Switch is no one. She's a means to an end. That's how he sees everyone. Mm-hmm. That's even how he sees Charles. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. And Charles says, everyone is someone. Mm-hmm. And this is what I was referring to earlier when I was like, Charles recognizes uh, Farouk's malevolence, but still has this optimism. I don't think that it's, well, like, maybe it's naive, but I don't think it is ignorant. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's very Charles Xavier to think everyone is worth saving. Yeah. Um. So in David's mind, the doors rattle in like super creepy way. <laughs> and of course, we know that it's going to be more David's. But it also, there's a part of me that's like, is it going to be like the angriest boy or the devil with yellow eyes or something? Ah. But no, it's just more David's. And so they're like, we want like revenge no no justice and like arguing with each other again i love i have to just uh because the delivery on that the comic timing between dan stevens and himself yeah i have to do credit for because when it actually is not arguing it's what do you want revenge justice yes justice it's like yeah no revenge he's just like yeah justice yeah yeah exactly there's no arguing actually yeah Revenge and justice are interchangeable. That's true. It is Dan Stevens with himself. So that is quite good to have that kind of comedic timing with your own self. Yes. (laughs) And of course, all the doors open. They all start talking about daddy, 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 which is exactly what happens to David with his commune. They surround him saying daddy. So it's both what he desires from other people, but what he actually desires to be doing that with his own father and mm. has serious daddy issues <laughs> and he projected them onto or used those issues to find other people with that issue for his commune that what the way that he is trying to be the daddy of his commune he's trying to fill the speci- very specific role that he that is unfilled for himself mhm exactly exactly Sid asks Gabrielle, is he a good baby? And I have to just, mostly what I have to say about this show is either positive or neutrally analytic. But I hate that stupid question in fiction and in real life. Is he a good baby? What is a good baby? Yeah. What the bleep do you mean by that? Is he a good baby? Yeah. You get that question when you're a new parent and it makes no sense. Is he a good baby? No. Unfortunately, we got one of the evil ones. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Sorry. It's like the, <laughs> not really about just, the show. It's just like the, what are you having? And I would always be like, uh, puppy. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, you're actually jumping ahead because I haven't talked about oh, that part sorry. yet. So let me recap that little section and then we can even go back to that a bit. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. So Sid chops wood and talks to Gabrielle about good babies. Uh, Sid talks about having two childhoods and feeling safe in her second one. All baby David wants is to feel safe. Gabrielle talks about her grandmother and mother having mental sickness. Sid tells her just to love David like his life depends on it and not to let the monsters in. 
Sid realizes that their timed demons have arrived and warns Carrie and Carrie, who freeze mid-fight. Parts of Baby David's room start disappearing until he's in a crib outside, as a time demon hovers over him. At the last moment, Sid hits the time demon and rescues him, but the time demons are infiltrating the house. David meditates in, in the air, with his inner self telling him to wake up. Switch sleeps, but calls for her papa. Farouk floats and meditates while Charles watches him. A child approaches Charles and asks him to help her. He reads her mind and sees dozens of people in a cage calling for help. Charles talks to David and calls Farouk a monster, and they agree to work together to crush him. But, but the present-day Farouk escapes from the in-between time and finds his past self. And we cut to credits. So the conversation, apart from the is he a good baby question, mm-hmm. then the answer to that question leads to this conversation about childhood and parenting. Yes. What do you think of that conversation? Um, I like the whole thing with Sid, like we talked about a second ago, but like with Sid having two, having these two childhoods, she suddenly has this insight into what good parenting and bad parenting can do. Yeah. And that all it really takes is like someone to really love them and teach them how to be uh, a person when they're one of a kind. Yeah. Having that childhood with Sid and with, uh, with Melanie and Oliver gave her the answer to that question that it's just a parent loving you is what helps. Hmm. And so she's able to impart that wisdom on Gabrielle. She says all he wants is to feel safe. Yeah, exactly. I like it and hate it. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Because I like what you just said about Sid learning some, like the effects of what Sid has learned are rippling through in very pleasing ways. Narratively. I really like it quite a lot. And I like the idea of like loving and caring for children matters to them. Like that Mm -hmm. maybe isn't a uh, groundbreaking insight, but it's, is a groundbreaking insight though but then she's like there's no stronger no good stronger than a mother's love is like i know because she's talking to gabrielle who is the mother but it's very i feel unnecessarily gendered in like a Mm, yeah you know like there's no love greater than a mother's love fathers who cares about and mother's all you need to do and can do and are good for is loving your child. And Gabrielle, who has mental illness and obviously postpartum depression. Yeah. Uh, you aren't loving your child enough and shame, shame, shame on you for not loving your child. That's the only good that you're good for. Love him. Love him now. Do it. Love him. Go. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It does not feel helpful to me. Mm-hmm. We, like, we have talked, I like the conversation they have about Gabrielle's mental illness, and we maybe come back to that in one second. We've talked about other aspects of her mental illness. No one, including us, has 
said the words or put the label on postpartum depression, but she's disengaged from her baby. Mm-hmm. There's a word for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, re- that's a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Even if the creators of the show didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I'm sure they do. But even if they didn't, weren't deliberately had that, having that in their mind, what we have seen on screen is a woman with postpartum depression. Yeah. And it feels to me like Sid is scolding her for that. Hmm. I can see that. I can see that perspective in a big way. I felt like it was her saying, it's okay if you are not acting the right way. If you don't know what to do exactly, all you need to know, all you need to do is love him and protect him. You don't need to worry about the other stuff. But... Hmm. But loving and protecting someone in her state is actually the hardest thing. So right. maybe that is, your point is, still stands. Like, I like what they were going for, but I just, I don't think they landed it. No. And I don't think that even if they reset the timeline or whatever, that Gabrielle is going to be okay. Yeah. Like, she's not going to be okay. No. And the, uh, like, I don't know, it's like the 50s, but. Or something, yeah. Or something. (laughs) Then I'm like, maybe Charles could get her some help, but if she actually lives in the 50s or 40s or whatever, then. uh -uh. (laughs) Maybe Charles can give her some help if he's there. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. And the, the, like, that's the other thing that uh, I said maybe we would circle back to. But in this conversation, Gabrielle, we've kind of seen it already. I think the audience has already figured it out. But Sid figures out and Gabrielle states out loud that it's hereditary. Yeah. Mental illness is hereditary in her family. Mm-hmm. And so David is not... David is a mutant. <laughs> but he's not a sport. No. Right? He's a mutant from his father and mentally ill from his mother. Yeah. And it's a different kind of... I mean, this is what they could have sold better, what they could have tried to land is, it's a different kind of who teaches you to be normal when you're one of a kind. We've spent a lot of time worrying about who teaches you to be normal when you're a mutant... But what David needs is his mentally ill mother to teach him how to be normal when he's mentally ill. Mm -hmm. And for her to do that, she needs to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And the show seems not to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They still have not solved exactly the reason why they would have given him away. Yeah. In the first place. They kind of never actually address that. No, they don't. They dance around it. In this episode, and I mean, we've seen the next episode. They de- they never address it. Yeah, exactly. But so there's a lot of question marks in this whole show, so it's just another question mark. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, I don't need all my questions answered. Exactly. I don't. I don't mind asking them again, drawing attention to the fact that they're unanswered. But I don't need the show to answer them all. That's fine with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So the time demons show up and Carrie pulls out a sword 
You're going to fight time with a sword, Carrie. She'll fight anything with a sword. That's her <laughs> weapon of choice. It's her Just, sword. <laughs> I mean, like, okay. <laughs> and like, uh, male Carrie is just like, am I sick or whatever? And she's like, mm, you have collapsed lung and whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, you're not okay, Carrie. No matter what happens, you're probably going to die. <laughs> Yeah, and the... so female Carrie is just doing everything she can. Like, well, I can't beat anything, so I'm just gonna pull out a sword. It's helped her a lot in the past. It's like it reminds me a bit of the second episode in a row where I've made a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference, but the Buffy the Vampire Slayer when Buffy is coping with grief and she's like, "Just point me to something I can hit." Yeah, exactly. Right, Carrie is that. Yeah, absolutely. And she always has been, and it's fantastic. Like, she's so... Like, sing the praises of Carrie for a second. I love male Carrie because I love uh, uh, Bill Irwin so much. Mm -hmm. And his performance is amazing. Yeah. But, like, female Carrie also, this, like, mix of naive innocence and extreme violence. Mm -hmm. And the violence is... It's not a dichotomy. Like, the violence is an aspect of her innocence. She interacts with the world directly and physically and point me to something I can hit. That is a kind of of naive innocence. Yeah. Yeah. And all that happens is she gets froze. Yep. This, like, the time demons taking down, like, the wall just like everything disappearing from david's room bit by bit is a really well done effect just like in terms of like technically in the show it's a really well done effect it's probably practical because they're really good at that kind of thing mm-hmm. but also it's it's like are the t- the time demons are coming specifically for david seems like it seems and so they are they are actually focused on him we asked the in whatever episode, male Carrie and I actually I can't remember whether it was male Carrie or Protonomy as the mainframe asked whether the time demons were uh, sentient or animals. Mm-hmm. And we've never really had a full answer. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like we have had enough hints that they're more sentient than animal. Yeah. Because they're coming for David, and they're coming for David because he defeated them before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is like... They have an agenda. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, but apparently they can be knocked out by, like, basically a hammer to the head? Yeah, I still, like... Okay, I'll... I'll allow it. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Because they're time demons. They can manipulate time, but they're still sentient... And conscious and pointing into directions. They eat time, but they still exist in time to some degree. And they're still causal, right? Mm-hmm. They do things and then it has an effect on things. So if they're not looking, like they have to look. They have faces. They have eyes. Right. I just don't think you can uh, be fast enough to attack them. But you can sneak up on them. I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And then... Switch says, Daddy, I need you. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Is she calling 
Is she calling David or is she calling her father? Hmm. I didn't even think about her actually calling David. I assumed she was calling her actual father. Because she was but... part of the commune that calls David daddy. Yeah, that's true. But we never heard her call him that. We didn't. It's another deliberately ambiguous, I think. Well, I mean, we know that David doesn't care about her. Mm-hmm. And she believes that her father doesn't care about her. I mean, we've seen that through the season, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's very pathetic. So we end with Charles and Fru- Charles and David coming together. Mm-hmm. Charles and David coming to, what does it say, crush him. Yes. Because there's two of them now. Because... They're both powerful mutants. They're probably both more powerful than Farouk. They can beat him. But then, of course... But now there's two of him, There's two too. of him, too. We get this nice twist at the end. And I... It's a perfect little, like, game-changer twist moment. I really enjoy that. Yes. As... Just as the writing of the show. The and mo- I'm excited for the next episode. Yeah. The moment of Charles and David coming together, I just, I want to, what really struck me in that conversation was not so much let's come together and crush Farouk, that was great, and the twist of there's two Farouks, like that was beautifully executed, the perfect kind of, like you said, game changer, where by the end of the episode you're like, I should have known that was coming, mm-hmm. <laughs> but st- but I didn't, maybe you, di- maybe you, dear listener, did, I didn't see that coming. But when it did, I was like, of course, that's the best. Um, But David and Charles' conversation, Charles says to David, I was supposed to have time to know this, how to be a father. Hmm. And I, time is the enemy. This is like what I meant earlier by time is the enemy is not just time demons, is not just uh, supernatural things. Like that's, that is because Time skipped, but that's also what it feels like to be a parent. <laughs> hmm Absolutely. It's my experience of parenting anyway. Things keep coming at me that I thought I was going to have time to get to better at. Mm-hmm. Learn how to be a father and suddenly you are one. Yeah. I just thought that was a really strong statement of like why, of what the, the show is all taking metaphors and making them real and that's just this little moment of taking it back into the metaphor Mm -hmm. what is all of this a metaphor for i was supposed to have time to know how to be a father right yeah you know Mm -hmm. we also didn't say if we're coming to the end of the episode we didn't comment on i don't know what i have to say about it except yikes that the children are all cages oh right yeah 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 could we kind of talked about that before but the monkey is the king, and all of the children are his former subjects. Supporters. Supporters. Whatever. Exactly. So, like, Farouk just came in. This was a palace with a specific king. He came in and took over and put them in mental cages. Yeah. Yeah. That is disturbing. Both for the people and for, like, the kids. Yeah. 
Exactly. It's like so monstrous. It is, exactly. He it's, is a monster. And it's enough to make Charles change his mind. Mm-hmm. I like it as that too, as like motivation for Charles to be like, yeah. no, this guy is irredeemable. He's yeah. not someone he's beyond saving, as Sid would say. Like, there's some people we can save. Charles is learning the same thing Sid is, but from the other direction. Mm-hmm. He has thought everyone is savable. Yeah. And old Farouk says, what a journey I have had. <laughs> That's also, I think, yep. not just in this episode, in this series. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other things to say? I think that is all I have to say about this episode. We're been talking for a long time and we have one more episode to go. We have already watched it since we're a little behind, but... Uh, I'm excited to get into it and yeah. talk about the last episode of the series and the show. Can I talk about the music? You can talk about the music. I'm I'm like so bittersweet feelings about doing next week's episode. Yeah. But we'll get to that next week, I suppose. And by the way, for you the listeners, we'll do a recap of the last episode. Then we'll do a season three retrospective. Then we'll do a series long retrospective. Yeah. Maybe more, but probably not. But we'll do at least two episodes more after we've talked about the last episode. So Yes. So Legion is over, but Clockworks isn't quite over yet. Anyway, but the music in this episode. The first music we hear, the first song we hear is Contact by Bridget Bardot. Uh, this is when Charles is talking to the cabbie about Farouk and the title card comes up. Mm-hmm. Um. It is in French, but the translation into English is A meteorite pierced my heart. You on Earth have doctors. Contact. I need a mercury transfusion. I lost so much by this injury. Contact. Take off my spacesuit. Remove this side reel dust. Contact. Understand me. I need at all costs. Join my love in the galaxy. Or to, to rejoin... I'm reading a uh, translation, and now I looked up at the French, and the translation's not bad. I need at all costs to rejoin my love in the galaxy. Contact. So, I mean, the word contact, we used this as the title of this episode. It's about Charles making contact with Farouk. But it's also about, like, this is a alien trying to contact Earth to be repaired, to mm. be healed. So that they can return back to space and uh, gain contact again with their love in the galaxy. This is episode is about con- Charles's contact with Farouk, but also David's contact with Charles. Yeah, exactly. It, it's both contact that does harm and also contact that heals. Mm-hmm. We have several songs uh, that are that have no lyrics instrumental classical music uh arabic classical music bashraf nawa athar by hicham khami hicham khami is a moroccan classical composer Hmm. um and bashraf nawa athar i don't speak uh arabic so according to google translate that means new meaning of course I don't know. 
if that's an accurate translation. Yeah, hard to say. So I'm not going to do a big, like, here's what that title means, because I don't even know if that's an accurate translation. It's Moroccan music, though. It's not just generic uh, Eastern music. Like, it's specifically Morocco. That's awesome. Good good on you, Legion. And then uh, we have later on another song, also by Hikam Khami, called Samai Nawa Athar. How Much I Have was the translation that Google gave me for that. Again, I don't know how much stock to put in that. And finally, we have a song, Badru uh, Zuhar, which is some Badr Flowers. I don't know if that's an accurate translation either, but it's written by Hassan Eraj, Eraji, Hassan Eraji, who is also from Morocco. Um, he is a little more of a like folk classical musician and yeah he's like popular throughout north africa but he's from morocco so all three of the instrumental uh songs are specifically from moroccan composers that is super cool and then finally when during like the shadow puppet show Mm -hmm. the music that plays is from uh opera by Bella Bartok called Bluebeard's Castle. Hmm, like the pirate. No, not like the pirate. No, sorry, like the king who kills all his wives. Like the fairy tale king fairy tale. who kills all his he's wives not, or rich a, man. He's not a pirate? Blackbeard is a pilot. Is a pirate. <laughs> Blackbeard is not a pilot. Blackbeard is a pirate. He was a real person who tied yeah, I know, smoke I into know. his beard. I thought that... Bluebeard is a rich man possibly there's no explanation in the fairy tale for why his beard is blue but it's a hint that he's some kind of magical fairy possibly okay and he has a fabulous house and fabulous wealth and he picks a girl to come live in his castle and be his wife and it's an amazing fairy tale for her but then it turns out she finds a room in his castle where all his previous wives bodies are um so bluebeard's castle like he is this host who welcomes someone in with smiling open arms and seems to be hospitable but actually his castle is a trap and he's a mass murderer right like the parallels here to farouk are plain Mm -hmm. and specifically the part that they sing is that they play is door five Ah, last day is an birodalam. I don't even know what uh, language that is. Bartok. It's like Romanian, I believe. But anyway, it means, ah, see, this is my realm. Hmm. It's completely appropriate for uh, for Farouk showing Charles, this is my realm. You've come into my home. This is everything I rule over. And this is the part in the opera where Bluebeard is still seducing his wife. And like, this is the amazing thing that I w- have for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's obviously a trap. That's all the music. Little bits of what by Captain Sensible. Mm-hmm. We talked about that. I don't think we need to go into it. Yep. Um, I have a little bit to say about the costuming, only that... Um, blue is very significant to this episode. We have all the children 
dressed in blue. We have the blue daggers. We have Gabrielle is in a bluish outfit. It's just the blue has become the main color for the past. It's a very blue past. And I think Mm. that is because it's always blue. Yes. So one more episode to go. If you have any questions or comments for us before we do that, uh, you can contact us on Twitter at ClockworksCast. Uh, We're also on Reddit and Patreon and Facebook and what's the other Instagram Mm -hmm. thing? Uh, ClockworksCast is our name everywhere, basically. One more You've said this in the past, and I just want to say what you have said. You said, if you have something to tell us before the next episode, or if you're listening to this in the future and we've already recorded the next episode, even if it's years in the future, we would still love to hear your thoughts about Legion or your thoughts about Clockwork. So don't let, oh, I've missed my chance, uh, stop you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll still have that Twitter handle open for a long time in the future. Yeah. So... I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye.